is when you have an individualistic culture where it's all about the individual and then we live in this culture, we start to think my faith is about my faith. And it is because only you can have your faith. But once it's your faith, then it has to become an, something bigger than us. And so much of what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives is when we start to see ourselves not as just individuals, but as body parts. God never meant for the work of his kingdom to be placed on one person. In his message today, Pastor Daniel will be talking with you about the importance of coming together as a community of believers to do what God has for us to do. There's strength that comes from serving each other, building one another up for the glory of God. You do have individual talents and gifts, but are you using them to promote yourself or to love others? Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 3 as he begins his message, Strength in Numbers. So I've always loved sports. I love playing sports. But the one thing I never love doing is running. The idea of running as a sport, I know some of you would say, oh no, running's a sport. But like for me, it was like, no, no, thank you. I, I had a great excuse for that because growing up, I played baseball and I played catcher because I figured if you're going to play a sport, I might as well put on as much gear as possible. You know, it's like, and so I would catch. And so I was always, uh, you know, in a squat position. And so I ended up with shin splints. So anytime it was time to run, I'm like, yeah, I can't run. I got shin splints. But I used to watch because at the high school that I went to in my home state of New Jersey, out of all the sports, they had really great sports programs, but actually our most decorated sports program was cross country. And one of our PE teachers, our, you know, our gym teachers, physical education teachers was the cross country coach. And he was like, you know, he went into like the cross country coaching hall of fame. And I used to give him a hard time. I'm like, must be really hard to teach people how to run. You know, like I was that guy, you know, like just, you know, giving him a hard time. But like literally, and we'd, we'd go into the gymnasium and there was all these flags. Like it was like every year it was like state champion, state champion, state champion every single year. So finally one day I'm like, so his name was Mr. Gabauer. I'm like, Mr. G, I'm like, how is it that you guys always win the state championship? He's like, oh, he's like, it's a great question. He's like, it's actually really simple. I'm like, yeah, I know you guys are running. You know, he's like, no, no. He's like, People think that running cross country is an individual sport, but it's actually a team sport. He's like, you actually get your scores based on the, I guess it's the first five of the runners, their highest placement, that's your score. And he's like, so because when I realized that people who run cross country, they like to run as an individual and it is an individual thing, I started to coach our team as a team. And I'm like, so what'd you do? He's like, well, our team has, they all have to run together as a pack for the entire race until the last quarter mile and then they can break out. And he's like, and so what would happen was is most teams, they would run all these people and they would run as individuals. And so one guy would be way ahead, one guy would be way behind or whatever it is. He's like, but our teams always run as a pack so that the fastest people are pushing a little bit, but they're also conserving something for the last quarter mile. And the slowest people are actually getting pushed. And he's like, so we would always run as a pack. And then in the last quarter mile, everyone would break out. And he's like, so we never worried about our people finishing first. We just wanted five people in the top 10. And he's like, and we got five people in the top 10. We almost always won. 
And he's like, and we've done this for years and years and years and years and years. And, and he's like, but people don't normally ask because you think if you're running a race, it's an individual sport. And he's like, but it's a team sport. And he's like, and really, if you want to be a great cross-country runner, you run as an individual. If you want to win the state championship as a team, you do it as a team. And it was such a powerful picture. I still think about it to this day. And I remember watching as, you know, the cross-country team would be training when I'd be playing baseball. And I'd literally be watching these guys run as a pack. They would run as a pack. Now, I never went to a cross-country meet until my kids started uh, running cross-country just because we wanted them to get exhausted. And so cross-country got that done. And it worked. You, you young parents, cross-country is good for your kids. You know, they'll sleep good at night. But seriously, it was like that whole idea is they ran as a team. And I remember watching, and, and we had so many good cross-country runners, and they all say, no, we, lo- we love being on this team because we push one another, everyone is growing, and ultimately all that really matters is if we win in the end. And that's why it was a very decorated team. Now, I bring this up because it teaches that simple principle that there's strength in numbers. You know, and in a lot of ways, our culture is so radically individualistic. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, like, you know, the key to our culture is like the rights of the individual, right? But those of you who are older realize that society actually functions better when we realize that it's about what's best for the community, not just the individual. But the thing is, is it's not only true in our culture, it's also true in the people of God, in the church. See, one of the greatest issues the church in general has today is that everyone thinks that they have to run their race and it's about their individual walk with Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, it is about your walk with Jesus, but it's actually God has invited us into something bigger. When Jesus gave that model prayer, he didn't say, my father, he said what? Our father. The Bible's always, it's always about the community, right? And what happens is when you have an individualistic culture where it's all about the individual and then we live in this culture, we start to think my faith is about my faith. And it is because only you can have your faith. But once it's your faith, then it has to become something bigger than us. And so much of what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives is when we start to see ourselves not as just individuals, but as body parts, as part of the body. See, you think about like, you know, like my hands, right? Like my hands are my hands, but my hands have no function if it's not attached to my arms. It'd be a weird science project. My hand in formaldehyde. Like, because it's attached to my arms, which is attached to my shoulders, now all of a sudden the hands have functionality. And all of us, every single one of us, when we realize that we are an individual part of the body, but we're meant to function as part of something bigger, and we plug into that, then all of a sudden, God can do amazing things. And as we were talking, we're doing this series called Honest, where we're looking at the amazing rebuilding and restoration project that Nehemiah finds himself involved in. We saw in our last message that Nehemiah was God's man with God's plan, right? God wanted to use this man, Nehemiah. God gave him a vision to see the walls rebuilt and then ultimately the people rebuilt. But in order for this to happen, it wasn't just Nehemiah with an idea. In order for this thing to work, everybody needed to be a part of it. And so today we're gonna see how the community in Jerusalem is now engaging in the work of restoration of their community but they're all doing it together. And although Nehemiah was God's man with the vision, it's because of all of the people that this stuff comes to pass. And so in order to get at this, I would love for you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah 
chapter three, Nehemiah chapter three. If you brought your own Bible, the book of Nehemiah is pretty easy to find. It's in about the first quarter of your Bible between the books of Ezra and Esther. So right there, if you find the book of Psalms, turn left. Find the book of Deuteronomy, turn right. If you're in Isaiah, turn way left, hard left. If you're in the New Testament, you gotta go all the way back into the Old Testament. Pull out your smart device. You're gonna be checking the sports scores. You're gonna be looking at Instagram and you're gonna be reading your Bible. We know how it goes. It's how it always is. But open up your favorite Bible app, type in Nehemiah chapter three. Now we're gonna be covering chapters three and four together. And just to kind of put it in context, remember, Nehemiah was the third wave of people returning from what was Babylonian exile. And remember, the Babylonian empire was conquered by the Medo-Persian empire. And it's really under this, right now, Nehemiah's king, this man named Artaxerxes, that really what you have is you have this third return. The first return was with a man named Zerubbabel. I keep reminding you, if you're having little boys, Zerubbabel's a great name. It's super uncommon. It's super cool. You know, you just call him the big Z. You know what I mean? It's a great name. So the first came back with Zerubbabel. Then the second group came back with a man named Ezra, who's the the person who the book of Ezra is kind of written by. And then the third wave comes back with this man, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter three, it's so easy when you read a chapter like that in the scripture or you have it read to you that you ask yourself a simple question. Why would the spirit of God inspire that in the scriptures. Am I the only one who asked that question? It's a great question. Like, why is that in there? And it's a simple answer. It wants to teach us an important lesson that it takes everyone to be strong. It takes everybody. Everybody has to be involved. It takes the whole community to be strong. Every single person. And really what you find here is that in the work of what God wanted to do, everybody had a part to play. Now you can imagine if you're in Jerusalem at the time that Nehemiah comes and he says, listen, we need to rebuild these walls. This thing is broken down. We need to do this work of restoration. And you could say, you know, listen, I don't feel like doing that. And you choose not to, but you don't even realize that what they're doing together has huge significance, that ultimately thousands and upon thousands of years later, their names are in the word of God for their faithfulness to do what God has placed in front of them. Because what Nehemiah believed God wanted took the entire community's involvement. Now, really all this is, is it gives the account of the repairs starting at the sheep gate, which was in the northeast of the wall and then moving counterclockwise around. And it's just a very systematic laying out of this person did this, this person took this section, this person took this section. And what you find is that there are common people and there are priests involved and there are all these different people, but everybody is serving together. And because everybody is involved, the work is happening well. You know, there's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And God created the people of God to be a community of we share a vision for who Jesus is and then we get involved. There's a principle in the scriptures that really says that strength is multiplied when people work together. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine to 12, where it says two are better than one 
because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, it's a simple, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is is a book of wisdom. It's talking about not only our relationship, but don't ever forget the fact that when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them out what? Two by two. Jesus never sends somebody else out alone. Why? Because they would go for both protection and fellowship. And God created us for relationships. And really what goes on then is in order for the work that God wants to do to come to pass, we need to realize that we need to be part of something bigger. And it's one of the reasons I believe that God has for, oh, for 45 years has been doing such an amazing work here at Crossroads. Because we like to say that because Jesus is real, we're a family of faith who's fully engaged, transforming our community and our world. See, the idea is God's work of transformation, of restoration happens because all of us find our rightful place. We're a family of faith who's fully engaged. Everybody has roles and parts to play in what we do as a church family. And I just wanna encourage all of you because Crossroads is an amazing place because so many people are involved in so many areas. And I realize that for those of you who are involved, you know the, the gift of serving. You know, you're more blessed to give than receive. And you're also, you realize that when you're serving other people and when you're, when you're engaged in the work of ministry, now all of a sudden you're being built up and you're being grown up and you get to use your gifts, you get to use your talents, you get challenged in different ways. You find yourself around people who maybe you wouldn't normally find yourself around and you have to learn how to be gracious and kind. See, Jesus said that the greatest in his kingdom is the servant of all and I'm here to tell you that you can't be the servant of all when you're busy serving yourself all the time. The way we become more like Jesus is to self-sacrificially give of ourselves. And in a lot of ways, what we see God doing right now in this year of restoration at Crossroads is we see so many people starting to engage either for the first time in serving the Lord here or people are starting to re-engage after some time away. Now, I I know I I felt like the Lord's like, Daniel, you just need to remind people, there's a number of people right now who God has been inviting you to take that step of faith to start serving again, and you haven't said yes. It's time to say yes. Part of what this last season of life has been with all that's gone on is people have gotten isolated, and nobody grows the most in isolation. So I know there's some of you right now, it's like you're like, oh, God's been telling me it's time to jump back in. It is time. In a way that you feel comfortable. I'm not not saying you have to do it a certain way, but like given your comfortability level, and if you're like, hey, I'm not comfortable yet, then you have to say, Lord, will you bring me to a place that I feel comfortable so that I can re-engage? Because you don't even have to be engaged the way you were before to be fully engaged. But you see here that the work that God wants to do happens. We are stronger when we are together. One of the things that I've also found in my own life is that when I am not engaged with people, then the people don't see those slight changes that could lead to destruction later. It's kind of like when you start to struggle how you pull away from godly people. Am I the only person who's seen this? Over and over again, I see this. I can always tell when someone's starting to struggle because they have all their reasons why they're pulling away from people, but really what it is is they don't want to be called out on on the slides in their character, the bad decisions. So people start to disengage. 
And I believe that it's really, it's the way that we choose to go our own way and we find all the reasons why. Like, oh yeah, it's a, you know, they, they weren't there for me. It's like, no, you stop talking to everybody. So I believe that the single greatest way to make sure that you grow in your faith is to be engaged where people are dependent upon you. It's what I always tell people, I'm like, one of the greatest gifts I have as a pastor, if I don't show up, everyone will notice. Like, can you imagine if one day I'm like, I just didn't feel like going, man. I just like didn't want to do it. You know, it's like, if I don't show up, everybody notices, right? And it's the gift of accountability. And in some ways, like, listen, Crossroads is a big church, but it's really a, a small community. When you serve here at Crossroads, it becomes your tribe, the people that you grow with. And you want to be the kind of person, if you're not here on a Sunday, people notice. Because that means that you are fully engaged, that you are involved in this. And so, I mean, Crossroads as a church, so much engagement, but I also realize there's so many more opportunities. And we don't only want you to serve here. We want you to get the gift of the fruit that is going to be born in your life from serving. It was great. We had a blood drive here this week. Folks from Crossroads served at the Red Cross. I didn't even know it. We had a great time. It was, it was cool. Like me and Pastor Gabe, we were racing who could give their pint of blood quicker. I won. Woo! I bleed fast. That's what we learned. I can't run fast, but I can bleed fast, you know? But like, listen, how can we give? How can we serve? What can we do? What's the step that we want to take? When we're all together, it takes everyone for this work to happen. Now, as we move into chapter four, you begin to think that, man, this is rocking, man. Like, man, everyone's involved. This thing's going to happen in no time. But guess what? We live in the real world. In the book of Nehemiah, and the Bible is honest about the issues in the rebuilding process. So check out Nehemiah chapter 4. So it would have been great if there was no issues. But in the real world, especially when you want to step on out for Jesus, you and I, we need to expect opposition. You need to expect opposition. Nothing, no substantial change ever happens without there's some sort of pushback. Now, when I say we should expect opposition, it does not mean that we should make the mistake of thinking that just because there's opposition that it's always that they're wrong and we're right. Okay, because that's the big mistake you can make. You're like, man, I'm right and they're wrong. Sometimes the opposition is because we're doing things wrong. And I think a humble person would be willing to say, what am I getting wrong that's creating the opposition? But I think what's also really important is to remember is that God has a plan for each one of us and God wants to use us and we should go into everything expecting there to be pushback. Because I think what happens is there's an old saying that says expectations ruin relationships. Have you ever hear that line before? The idea is that whatever you expect, if you don't get it, then there's issues. So like one of the, I say expectations ruin relationships because oftentimes people don't know what people expect from them, right? And so if somebody doesn't give you what you don't, like if you don't give someone what you don't know they're expecting of you, they're going to get upset with you. And if you go into following Jesus thinking that it's always going to be easy, then it's actually that expectation when you realize it's not easy and there is opposition, you'll feel bad about it. Like, man, I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. There's opposition. But all through the scriptures, what you find is that there is opposition to the work of God at every turn. There's opposition. 
And because there's opposition, we have to know this is what God has called me to and this is what I'm supposed to be doing because, you know, right away you have this man, Sanballat, and his friends. We met them in chapter two and now they're getting mad because the work is getting done and they went from just being, you know, upset about them doing the work to now it starts saying that Sanballat, he's furious and he's indignant and he's talking to people about it and he's really making fun of the Jewish people. He's saying, will these feeble, what are they doing? Are they going to fortify them? Are they going to offer sacrifices? He's like, he liked them weak. And now he sees them getting strong, he's getting nervous. Because the thing is, is that they may have been feeble, but because God is on their side, they're strong. And God wants to do a work, right? And so really what's going on here is now Sanballat and then his friends start getting involved. Like, man, we're going to make sure that they don't succeed. And they begin to undermine the work of the Lord, And I think we have this tendency to think, if I step out with Jesus, it's all just going to go easy. It's all going to be so easy. It's all just going to work so well, except when the pushback comes, we get nervous and we stop. But we can't stop. Now, don't ever forget this. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. See, Jesus tell them, look, look, if they crucified me, if they killed me, if they came after me, they're going to do the same thing to you. So he's like, I tell you this so you're not surprised when it happens. Now, can I say this? If you're a follower of Jesus, I realize not everyone here at Crossroads is. We love that about Crossroads. Everyone's on their own step of their journey. We want to honor the step that everybody is on, right? We can't make anyone be on a different step. If God wanted you on a different step, you would be. You're where you are today. But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's the thing. If the world's gonna hate us, let's make sure they hate us for the name of Jesus and not some other cockamamie idea. Can I get an amen to that? So much of what people don't like about Christianity has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with all these other things that are not Jesus. And we made a a decision here at Crossroads that if people are gonna not like us, it's because we believe the gospel. We believe in Jesus. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. We preach that there's salvation in his name alone. And all the other stuff, we're like all this cultural stuff that people are angry about. We're not going to get involved in that because the main thing is who is Jesus and who are we in him? And if we're going to get in trouble here at Crossroads, we're going to get in trouble because we preach Jesus. We're not going to get in trouble because we're on the side of a political party. Come on. Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, man. My Jesus never has to worry about getting voted out of office. Ain't no impeachment for my Jesus. Ain't no, we're going to pack the courts, man. Listen, Jesus is solid. Jesus is real. The body of Christ can be an incredible, thriving family when it's healthy. Pastor Daniel reminded you how important it is to be engaged with your family of faith, to get involved with your church. The more time you spend with other believers, the more opportunity you have to grow and serve. You can help build others up and you can benefit from them drawing you toward a deeper connection with Jesus. 
Living by faith is better when it's done in community. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next step with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that Jesus is worth following. While the road may not be easy, and though you will face opposition at some point, he's still worth it. Pastor Daniel will talk about some of the pushback Nehemiah and the Israelites had to deal with as they continued to follow God's path. But you'll also learn how they handled it. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Honest. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.